Yes. It is another big fun edition of the Shared Interest Podcast. Hello. How are you? I hope this finds you well. Today, I have a show, and I think it's fascinating, or at least the topic is fascinating. Not sure how the show part will turn out just yet, but as far as all that goes, if you're into such formalities, I am Tommy. I am the host. I run the show around here, but it's been a minute since I've chatted, so let's catch up real quick. A few months ago, I did a podcast about George Papadopoulos. If you're not familiar with George, he was a young man that was selected to participate in a 2016 Donald Trump campaign advisory committee. And more notably, he was later arrested, indicted, and pleaded guilty as part of, you guessed it, the Trump-Russia possible collusion. Yep, we're back to talk about all the new updates on the George Papadopoulos Kid Pop story. Let's get down to business, or at least let's get down to the way we conduct business around here. Before we go forward, I guess we got to go back for just a second. Papadopoulos was indicted by special counsel Robert Mueller, and the docket that contained all of the information about that case, it was unsealed right around Halloween last year. Since essentially all the information is public, and since I kind of love this stuff, I went ahead and poured through all the documents. I'm quick to go find anything that the special counsel files. Look, I get it. The whole Russia thing, it's a super polarizing topic. It's politics, so it's inherently something that you probably shouldn't talk about. And then on top of that, seems fair to say that we're living in a somewhat toxic political environment. Tensions appear to be just a little higher than normal. And, oh God, if you add anything Trump-related to a conversation... That's an invitation to have a complete collapse of the discourse, which is fine. It's cool. People enjoy mixing it up. They want to roll around, get in somebody's face. It's, a, you know, an emotional fever pitch. And sometimes it leaves folks looking really silly, but that's their business. I mean, do what you like. I'm more about dissecting the record. I'm pretty much focused on what exactly is in the docket. There's a whole legal process that's involved when there's an arrest, an indictment, a plea. So what exactly did the prosecution have on this kid? George Papadopoulos, member of the Trump campaign, international Russian spy liaison. So what did they finally get him on? That was my interest, and I wanted to share it. And since any schmuck can make a podcast these days, I made a show about Papadopoulos. Not sure who out there in the audience has listened to that first GPP episode. Yeah, <laughs> call out a past pod episode like a rock star. Who here in the audience tonight? Who has our first GPP podcast? And who wants to hear a little something from that show? Repeat it right now! No, it's not quite like that, is it? Nobody ever wants to hear a podcast episode repeated. But man, record a hit song and you can play that shit over and over and over. It's a license to be lazy for the rest of your life and beyond. You can grow old and die. Literally die. You can be dead. They'll just put a hologram on tour in your place and keep playing the hits. It's amazing. But it was a good podcast episode. 
I'm not so humble that I can't admit that made a really good episode. But if for whatever reason you didn't hear it, in summary, the show goes through all the specific details of the George Papadopoulos case. And there sure are some quirky things in there. In fact, it becomes apparent pretty quickly that the prosecution's case against Pop is really pretty weak. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. GPP made some totally cringy decisions along the way, but there are some, uh, shall we call them inconsistencies in how Bob Mueller's prosecutors approached this case. Um, I don't know how anyone could objectively look at this record and come away not feeling bad for Kid Pop. I certainly do. So, um, you know, having read it all, I, I want to be objective and talking about it, you know, what the things are. But when you read through it and you look at who this person was and what the accusations have been, um, you know, it's, it's really shaky. Obviously, it's not the first time, it's not the last time that a piece of prosecutorial discretion will leave me scratching my head. Cases get advanced and cases get dropped all the time for all kinds of whacked out reasons. The only reason this case is special is because the stakes are pretty high. Um, this isn't knocking over a corner liquor store and then having the local DA make a call on a wobbler. Uh, this is a battle for the leadership of the free world and the awesome power that comes along with that throne. This is it. I should say one of the alleged centerpieces of Trump, Russia, possible collusion. Trump, Russian, possible collusion. Trump, Russian, metal collusion. Trump, Russia, possible collusion. Trump, Russian, potentially collusion. Trump, Russia, possible collusion. Trump, Russian, possible collusion. Let me try to be serious. There are some real heavyweights involved here. I mean, there's so much money and power at stake, of course. So we're in the middle of what has to be the largest disinformation campaign of all time. Again, I get it. I realize that a lot of people aren't interested in breaking things down like this. Hell, a lot of people really don't give a flying fuck what happened. They just, they're perfectly content to pick a side and mob up. You know, our team is good. Your team is evil. Now I can battle it out on social media and, you know, do the imaginary strife thing. But hey, as long as you believe it, it's real. If it gets you through the day, that's cool. Fighting the good fight. You're the last line of defense against fascism and unspeakable tyranny. I mean, it's super simple. And there's a lot of things that are playing to the lowest end of intellect. But I don't know, maybe that's where we're at. I don't think I'm breaking any new ground if I said that everyone's already aware that most of modern politics is a post-truth world. Campaigns are inherently disingenuous. They're about creating narratives. If you're going to run for an office, you kind of just make something up about yourself or make something up about your opponent more often. Create an atmosphere that's divisive so you can, you know, kind of hit a tribal nerve that, you know, our team is great, your team stinks. And the most popular MO on that is to smear your opponent. And it doesn't even have to be true. Like you can make up something about somebody and you know, just as long as you have an ally, like maybe a journalist, air quotes on journalists there, that's essentially what modern media has devolved into. Salute to the real ones that are still out there doing the journal gig, but um, I wish there was more of you that apparently it doesn't pay as well as straight propaganda. Because once something's published, the same politician that planted the smear can see it in print and then point to it as evidence that the thing that they made up out of the clear blue sky 
actually happened. Isn't that super convenient? I mean, here, take it completely out of the Trump-Russia context for a second, just so we can talk about it at a conceptual level and we don't have to get hung up on all the baggage that goes with all Trump shit. Let's just use an example from San Francisco. So in 2014, we have an election for the California Assembly. That's the lower house of our state Congress. And there's two candidates that run for the Assembly District seat, and they were Mr. David Chu and Mr. David Campos. And by almost any metric, they were exactly the same person. Both were current city supervisors. Both were running for a state office. Both were Democrats. Both campaigned as champions of San Francisco values. Hell, both their names were David. But still, even in that environment of similarity, they kind of went at it in a, in a very divisive way. So Campos declared himself a progressive and he labeled Chu a moderate. If you're not familiar with that distinction, it's just a, a cheap way to cascade the two-party meme into an area where everyone's already part of the same party. Campaigns here in San Francisco, you can't run a Democrat versus Republican talking point. The entire city's already registered Democrat. But as we're discussing, a very successful strategy for winning elections is to create a narrative that will yield a simplistic tribal following. Because your simplistic tribal following can be made passionate enough about an issue to actually get off their asses and go vote. And that's power. That's that's what you're trying to do. You mobilize it. But if everyone is already in the same tribe, what do you do? Innovate. I'm a progressive. You're a moderate. Bam. There. Now we can fight. Now we've got something that the masses can mob around. So... Stick to the game plan about two weeks before the election. The Campos campaign, they ran a plant a fake story to smear your opponent play. A couple of folks that were loosely affiliated with the Campos campaign filed an ethics complaint against their opponent, David Chu. And that complaint alleged that the Chu campaign manager was committing a violation by working on the Chu campaign while she also owned a company that was lobbying San Francisco lawmakers in favor of Airbnb. The city's considering regulations on short-term rental apps, and there's a lobbying firm. She owns it, and she's also this guy's campaign manager. Then, uh, with the help of a media hack that already supported the Campos campaign, all of a sudden there's a splashy headline, you know, Chu investigated for ethics violation. And the coverage is, you know, very much implying that, oh, this is a sure thing, this slam dunk case, he's guilty, look at him, he did it, he's in bed with Airbnb, so smear. None of it was true, Chu was cleared, there's no wrongdoing, he's a very ethical man by all accounts, he's, he's been a great assembly member. The point is, the truth doesn't matter. All that matters is if you can successfully create a narrative that your opposing candidate has done something horrible, and then your, your ally push the story as hard as they can. It's not complicated. I mean, we're not putting anything into space here. It's very simple propaganda, and it's been very effective over the years. If you want to be philosophical, you can say it's gross because it's all fake, but we kind of explain away the shit system with wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's politics. It's just a bare-knuckle business. I mean, if you want to climb up on the mountain and think, you know, and come back down and say, hey, you know, this might be a hopelessly broken system. Why do I need a representative to go and cast a vote on my behalf? Uh, 
seems a little archaic. Seems to create this endless loop of fraud, waste, and abuse. It's, it's not really great. I don't know. It's the system that we have. You know, I think the media, if they really were noble warriors of the First Amendment, they probably wouldn't recklessly slant their coverage to misinform and manipulate audiences. That seems to get the bills paid. If you're drawing that line between, oh, hey, you know, fake news, it's unfortunate that the fake news thing has become such a, a Trumpism because they were really thoughtful people. And, you know, with all due respect to the president, I don't consider him to be a very thoughtful person, but thoughtful people like Noam Chomsky like Dr. Cornell West for years and years and years, they've been talking about how this type of corporate media and the cycle of promotion, propaganda, steering conversations. I mean, these, these are very legitimate points. And if any part of me was going to be emotional about all of this stuff, it would definitely be the part that feels the hurt of, you know, they, they co-opted these really, really bright individuals, you know, who've been speaking this kind of truth to corporate power for many, many years. And, it's now been co-opted by the fucking red hat MAGA people. It's, oh, it's a, it's a brutal ball kick. It's, it is such a kick to the gut. Anyway, uh, let's bring us full circle back to Trump Russia, possible collusion, because that's the mother of all shitty political narratives that's ever been created. And there's so many awesome corporate media machinists involved and so much disingenuous shit everywhere you look. And, Kid Pop, our boy, GPP, he's a piece in that game. And getting back to him, the sentencing memo that was recently filed by Special Prosecutor Mueller's office, nearing the end of the case, there is still a hearing, but the same problem remains in the document. There's no incriminating evidence in the prosecution files. In fact, the preponderance of evidence suggests that Kid Pop was entrapped by an unethical faction of the Department of Justice and the FBI. Poor George. I mean, oh man, this dude accidentally got himself caught in a real jackpot. Um, he's just one piece in a much, much bigger game, a really wild game, maybe more of a war than a game. I'm not going near that rabbit hole right now. Let's look at George Papadopoulos, what's new in the sentencing documents. May I please draw your attention to the last page of the sentencing memo. Final page, page 10, that'll be, which states, quote, the defendant provided information about $10,000 in cash he received from a foreign national whom he believed was likely an intelligence officer of a foreign country other than Russia. The defendant has stated that he kept the money in a safe pending his sentencing in this case End quote. I'm sorry, what? Come again? How's that? How's that? The defendant, GPP, provided information to the feds about 10 gur he got in cash from a guy who was a foreign national, but not a Russian, and George believed that that person giving him the cash was likely a spy. Thanks for tucking that little nugget in at the end. <laughs> One of the biggest questions from the first GPP podcast was, why would this kid plead guilty instead of fighting a couple of cheap 1001 charges? A quick refresh. 18 USC 1001. 
That's the statute that criminalizes giving false information to the feds. GPP got charged with two 1001s, and they were some ticky-tack shit, man. But the feds get to decide what is false information, so that can be a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The two primary counts against Pop were, one, GPP misstated the dates of his contact with the professor. Pop said he met the professor in March before he joined Team Trump. The FBI said, no, it was in March after you joined the campaign, but before you attended that you know big formal event. Number two, GPP told the feds that the professor was a nobody, that he was just a guy talking up contacts. And the FBI charged that statement as false because at the time, Papadopoulos thought that the professor was a baller with the Russians. Oh, man, that one still makes my stomach hurt. The old at-the-time trick, huh? And there's uh, no such thing as a perjury trap, huh? Uh, Anyway, the FBI is technically correct on both of those counts. The timestamps indicate that GPP was approached about being on the Trump committee in the first week of March. He met the professor a week later. A week or so after that, Pop flies to Washington to do the big committee meeting thing. It's a distinction without a difference. It's completely meaningless, blurring those dates, but... To this particular prosecution, that was a chargeable offense. On the second 1001, no doubt, 100%, during spring 2016, GPP thought the professor was a well-connected ambassador who could set up meetings with the Russians because that's what the professor told Pop he could do. It wasn't true. The professor wasn't an ambassador and he didn't have any Russian contacts. He was a fraud or... Maybe he was a Western intelligence asset that was making a run at someone who he knew to be on the Trump campaign. I don't know. That is not in the charging document. That is speculatory. What is known is the professor never helped George set up any meetings at all. He never followed through. So when the FBI showed up in January of 2017, Pop told him, hey, you know what? The professor's a zilch. Hey, guys, you know, the professor's a blowhard. He talks all this yang. and He couldn't do shit. Couldn't help my career at all. (laughs) And the FBI bombed away on poor George with a 1001 for downplaying the significance because he thought that the professor was able to set up these things at the time. Oh, no, George. Oh, I'm so sorry, buddy. You're getting jammed. Getting jammed, fella. So why did he plead out? Well, beyond obviously not having the means to mount a competent defense against this level of federal resources being thrown at you. But come on, that's no excuse. Even if you're playing from the small stack, if you have a hand, play it. Why would you plead out to what are really ticky-tack little 1001s? Let's go back to that 10 large, huh? That $10,000 in cash on the last page of sentencing memo. If you recall, GPP's background is in Greek Cyprus energy policy. That's one of the reasons why it was always so odd. Why would he, he, you know, waylaid into being this intermediary with Russia? Anyway, that was all in 2016. Here we are, July 2017, and a unique opportunity comes George's way. It's an offer from Mr. Charles to Will. Charles is an Israeli business person. Charles has an agreement, apparently, to work on an oil and gas project in the region. He ends up in contact with George, 
says, hey, you know, GPP, maybe you want to help me prepare some bidding documents. Uh, I need a subcontract in Cyprus. I've got this project in the region. And Charles happens to give Pop $10,000 in cash as a retainer. This is too much for me, man. You know, I can really dig this, Randy. You know why? This kind of thing happens to me every week. I know, right? It is always Pop's lucky day, isn't it? Man, this kid is hot. I haven't seen anyone this hot since Nick Papa Giorgio. <laughs> well, whether it's the professor or Putin's niece, Chucky Cash Money, Pop runs into the, quite a quite a cast of characters here. But this time, GPP is a little smarter. Like I said, this is July 2017. And the sequence is pretty critical here. So let me be precise with the timeline. Papadopoulos announced as part of this sham Trump committee in March 2016. The fraud professor, the phony Putin niece, and the flying circus, and the dancing bears, and all that shit. That's March through April 2016. Then, the alleged drunken bar conversation, where, oh, Hillary Clinton's Russia, thousands of emails, international spy, Papadopoulos. That's May 2016. International spy, Papadopoulos. But Pop doesn't get contacted by the FBI until January 2017. For over six months... Oh, this poor bastard. He had no idea the ton of bricks that was going to hit him. January 2017, knock, knock. <laughs> Here it is. It's the FBI. And um, Pop met with them voluntarily without the presence of counsel. He answered the questions. Sure seems like he answered them to the best of his ability. Then he talks to them again a couple of weeks later in February. But after that, nothing from the Bureau. Doesn't hear anything. Look at that. It's all just a misunderstanding. I didn't do nothing. Professor was a loudmouth. Guys, he said he had connections. I never talked to nobody. I look like a fool. I'm stuck here. I got nothing. Help me. You got a job? FBI hiring? <laughs> you need a Greek Cypress energy consultant? Uh, March goes by. April, May, June. June 2017. Durant and the Warriors. They roll up the calves. How sweet was that? Man? I love Durant, by the way. I don't care about those burner accounts, KD. Do whatever, man. It's cool. Anyway, um, Papadopoulos. Vital timeline. Now it's July 2017. And here's Chucky. Chucky Bunnybags. Old Charles Tawill has got a sweet gig for GPP. Gives him 10 gur in cash. But fool George once, shame on you. Fool George twice, shame on him. And that ain't going to happen. No, not this time. Pop's, Pop's getting wise. Well, he's getting kind of wise. He takes the money, but he also thinks, hey, it's kind of shady. I don't know what's going on here, so I'm not stepping in this puddle again. I'm going to leave the money in the care of a trusted associate in Greece. Now, the sentencing memo states it as defendant kept that money in a safe, but subsequently GPP's family has made some statements. I'll talk a little bit more about those here at the end, but GPP has clarified that it's, it was with a trusted associate, I guess. Anyway... And GPP meets Chucky Moneybags, whatever. He's like, ah, this is a little shady. I'm going to leave this money here. Gets on the plane, flies to Dulles, July 27th. Surprise, surprise. Who's there? Yeah, it's the Federal Bureau of Investigation, George. We like to put these cuffs on you. Have a word with you. Womp, womp. Oh, no. I mean, but how's that for a coincidence? The Bureau's had this dude's statements on ice since January. And second, some Israeli Cyprus business deal gets done. And here's the feds at Dulles waiting for GPP. Okay. All right, cuff him up. Let's go talk. So the interrogation is on. 
I bet that was a very comfortable interview with a uh, special prosecutor in the FBI agents. Very ethical prosecution. Probably did not threaten George with something like a Section 951 beef. Poor little kid pop. They probably did not tell him that they had evidence that George was acting as an unregistered agent for Israel, and that could carry a penalty of up to 10 years in prison. They probably didn't say, hey, you know, you can do that 10 years because we... We think you're an unregistered agent for Israel. Or you could plead down to a couple of 1,001s from that January interview. Maybe you'll do 30 days. Hmm. If you're Kid Pop and you're looking at that somewhat hypothetical situation where you might not think you lied to the FBI, but you damn sure know you just got 10 grand in cash and you think the dude who gave it to you might be shady and you know that people have been hounding you, and now you're arrested, making a quick plea might seem fairly attractive if you were in that situation. Especially if some super aggro prosecutor is there threatening to lock you down for 10 years, if you don't have the means to put up any type of quality offense. Hypothetically, were you the special counsel, and you seriously believed that Kid Poff was an unregistered agent for Israel, why in the hell would you ever offer him this plea down to these two 1001s. Why indeed? The sentencing hearing still to come. GPP can address some of these quirky details if he so chooses. I'm aware that his wife has been on some of the cable news shows, and apparently she's been indicating that she thinks that her husband got railroaded. I think so too, uh, Mrs. Papadopoulos. If that's if you took his last name, yeah, your boy got fucking jammed. He's in a most unenviable spot because he's got no leverage on a personal level. Pop, he's powerless. He's a pawn. But in this bigger game of the 2016 election scandal, well, that's going on all around us. And GPP is a pretty important piece of that narrative. Some of the most powerful people in the world, they need the GPP case to be framed in a certain way for their very survival. But Pop gets nothing from that, unfortunately. He's vitally important and completely worthless all at the same time. How's that for duality? Hey, that's how it goes. There's a giant proxy war being fought over the 2016 election scandal, and it has produced all kinds of spin-off stories like this. Papadopoulos is just more collateral damage, and with all due empathy for the lives that have been ruined as a spectator, Jesus Christ, what a show. What a show. Bravo. I, I love what you all are doing. It's amazing. Amazing. And... I mean, I'm not really sure I want to get into why Pop is such an important piece to that bigger game, but the timing here, this was not by accident. There were certain and specific things that occurred in January 2017 that had nothing to do with Papadopoulos that prompted the FBI to take this action against him. There were certain and specific things that were going down in July 2017, and they created the need for Special Counsel Mueller to come up with some indictments. Um, sorry, GPP, wrong place, wrong time, kid. Team Mueller has to find something that they can stick on Trump before all of the shitty spycraft stuff 
that the Obama administration were doing, before that comes to light, they got to run this Trump team out of office. They got to cover it up somehow because they definitely weaponized the intelligence apparatus and they used it to surveil their political opponents. And if they don't get rid of the people who would expose that, there's a good chance that folks like Andy McCabe, Bruce Orr, Sally Yates, James Baker, Peter Strzok, James Comey, they could all go to prison. I mean, they did some seriously wild shit. They got a little out over their skis on this one. The Clinton campaign, they're just running the standard smear of their opponent with this whole false narrative play. You know, Trump's a Putin asslicker, cockholster, whatever. But these fucks in the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, oh, baby, they used blatantly false campaign smears as the basis to do 702 surveillance. That is some hot water that you're standing in there because Trump fucking won. Whoops. Whoops. They circled every wagon they could find to push this phony Russia collusion story to get the Don thrown out of office before the music stops and we see who has no chair. There are some very high-level folks at the DOJ and the FBI that are in serious legal jeopardy on this thing. And they should be in jeopardy because what they did is highly fucking illegal. And this whole thing, this Trump-Russia possible collusion narrative, it's a work. It's been a work from the jump. The Clinton campaign made it all up, which on its own would be totally fine. They saw an opportunity when Trump put huckleberries like Carter Page and George Papadopoulos on his stupid sham foreign policy advisory committee. And the Democratic machine has plenty of allies on cable news who are willing to repeat whatever talking points they're handed, which is also totally fine. I mean, there's no requirement that CNN report anything accurately. They can be as disingenuous as they want. But the United States Department of Justice and the FBI operating pursuant to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, yeah, they can't be as disingenuous as they want. Or at least they're not supposed to be. We'll see if the whole thing unravels on them. It's clear what they did, but maybe they can find a way to drag this out past the midterms. They can string together enough horseshit convictions like the one they put on George Papadopoulos to finally get Trump impeached and save their asses. Because if you think the George Papadopoulos case that I've been discussing is bad, you should see the underpinnings on the Carter Page story. Holy shit. I mean, it is flimsy and fraudulent, and it's just, they made it up. They completely made up a story. So yeah, ultimately, something's got to give. And it should be a real hoot to see how it plays out. All right, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Take care. Hit me. Years 94 and my trunk is raw. In my rear view mirror is the motherfucking law. Got two choices, y'all. Pull over the car. Bounce on the devil, put the pedal to the floor. And I ain't trying to see no how.